everybody, I look forward to being back with you again next weekend. I have been taking some time to rest and be with my family, but also a lot of time in prayer. I've been reading about six or seven books now, and I've also been doing some writing. And I am anxious to share just some of the things that God has been saying to me over the last several weekends. And then again next weekend, we continue with our series, actually bring it to a close, Gobsmack. Remember, Gobsmack is a term that refers to God surprising us, how God astounds us sometimes. And I hope this summer you've had some great some good gobsmacking going on in your life, some good surprises, some wonderful ways that God astounds you. But this weekend, I want to talk about some of the surprises that, well, we really don't like in our connection and our relationship to God when those kinds of things happen in our lives that we wish that we could avoid and not have to go through. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18, as we talk together about the issue of prayer, especially when we are trying to pray through difficult times. Somebody has said that the problem with prayer is God. I want you to think about that. The problem with prayer is God. That sounds, it just sounds bad when you say it, but if you really stop and think about it, I don't know about you, but I can honestly say in my own life that sometimes it feels like that, especially when I'm going through a difficult patch in life or when I'm dealing with maybe some difficult relationships and I'm calling out to God and I'm asking for wisdom or I'm asking God for some relief or a solution. I just wonder, where are you, God? Especially if I've been praying about the situation for a long period of time. Where is God? Why doesn't God show up? And I'm going to guess I'm not the only one. And so at each of our our campuses, just so nobody feels alone in this whole thing, if you've ever been in a situation like that where you've been praying and wondered, where is God? Would you just raise your hand this weekend? And I just want you to look around so you don't feel alone. We've all been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. And that's why I want you in Luke chapter 18. Now, to understand this passage and really appreciate it, you have to look at what happens before it, and you have to look at what happens after it. Before Jesus speaks the words and tells the story that we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 18, he has just told his disciples, his followers, what the end of the world is going to be like. The the, uh, drama and the trauma that is going to take place in this world right before the Lord returns. In some ways, as we've been talking about end times over those last six months, sometimes it feels like we're on the verge of the very end because of all the dramatic things that are taking place in our country and around the world. On the other side of the story that we're going to look at, Jesus informs his followers that he is about to be crucified on the cross and die for the sins of the world. Now, imagine being a follower of Jesus on the one hand, you've been told that the world is going to come to an end and some, some difficult days are ahead because of that. Now you're being told that the one you've committed your life to follow is actually going to be crucified on the cross. And then you're going to find out later on that as a follower of his, you too are going to face difficult days and persecution as a result of that. How do you feel? What are you thinking? Jesus knows what's going on in the minds of his followers, just as he knew 
their minds then, he knows our minds today, and I think that's one of the reasons why he told this story. Listen to how he begins in verse 1. He says, one day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So obviously, Jesus is saying, with what you're going to face in life, you must always pray. It must be a part of your life, and you have to persevere. You never can give up. And I want to remind you this weekend that no matter what you're going through in life, no matter what you're facing right now, you must always pray and never give up. But that's the tension. Yeah, I hear you, Dale. I have been praying, but I don't see an answer. I don't see God doing anything, and I, I am ready to give up. And Jesus knew that. He knew that about his followers then, and he knows that about you and me this weekend. He knows that sometimes we're praying and praying and praying, but we just want to give up. Because sometimes, you know, the storms of life, they, they choke the hope out of our lives, out of our hearts and out of our minds, whether it's a relational storm, a financial storm, whether it is a physical storm you're going through. Sometimes in storms of life, you're just like, God, could you just break the clouds, send some sunlight, and give me some peace? And so Jesus tells this story in light of all that. He says, there was a judge, in verse 2, in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Now, when I, when I hear those words, when I hear the word judge, it kind of makes me shake a little bit. Because when I think about a judge, I think of somebody with a robe and, and with the authority and a lot of power. We, we see that being lived out in our, in our own culture. I remember when we adopted my youngest son, uh, Tim, I was selected in a jury to serve at a murder trial at the very same time that we were supposed to go to a municipal court where our final adoption of our son was going to take place. And I remember going to the superior judge and saying to him, "Uh, Your Honor, can I please be excused from the jury because my son's about to be adopted and we've been working at this for two years and there may be people that come and protest it and and if I have to serve on this jury, it's not going to happen and there's going to be all kinds of problems and I'll never forget, his name was Judge Bronco. He looked straight at me and he said, I'll just have the case moved up here after the trial is over. You come into your office with my wife and we'll settle it. And that was it. I had no options and no choice. Now, the beautiful thing about that is it ended up being a a true miracle of God. I believe God put me on that jury as an alternate, all right, because God wanted to move that case out of that community so there'd be no protests against it. Marsh and I were the only ones there with our son and two friends that witnessed it. We had the paper signed immediately. We shook hands with the judge, had our picture taken with him. We were out the door, and it was done. And it was an act of God. It was an act of God. But I I just didn't realize how powerful a judge can be. I guess maybe we all realize that with the recent Supreme Court ruling, the power of judges to affect us. And this judge, this is not a good judge. This is not a nice judge. This guy has no regard for God, doesn't care about God, and it says he he didn't care about people. In other words, this judge saw himself as not below or above the law. He he saw himself as the law. 
I am the law. I'll do as I please. And, and there was no sympathy on his part when it came to people. It was just whatever mood he was in, however he felt like treating them. So Jesus goes on. And in verse 3 he says, A widow of that city. i got to stop right there. A widow. I don't know about you, but I have this image of a judge. I also have an image of a widow. And it, it draws out of me not fear, but it draws out of me compassion. Maybe it does for you as well. And, and back in those days, to be a widow was even more difficult than being one today. It meant oftentimes poverty. It meant loneliness. It meant hardship. Different culture, different time. Women had very little, if any, power at all. And to become a widow, oh my goodness, you were at the mercy of your family. And if you had no family, your, your life is just filled with hardship. And evidently, from what we learned, this poor woman had a lot of hardship in her life. It says a widow of that city came to him repeatedly. So she dogged this judge. She knew his hours. She knew when he'd be in court. And she always showed up when he showed up to work. Repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So what's going on here? More than likely, this woman that Jesus has in this story is coming over and over again to the judge because he doesn't care about people. He has no fear of God. And she just keeps pestering him, wanting justice. Now, who is her enemy? I'm guessing the enemy is a creditor. The enemy is someone who is wanting to collect, maybe on the family farm, maybe on the crops that should have been grown that she can't plant and she can't grow and harvest. Maybe it's on her home that she lives in, but he wants something and she can't pay her now enemy back. And what she wants from the judge is some justice. She wants some protection. Maybe it's a scoundrel who's trying to take advantage of her situation, her loneliness and her poverty. And so she keeps coming back over and over and over and over again. Judge, I'm being taken advantage of. Judge, you got to show mercy to me. Judge, help me. Judge, listen to me. Please listen to me. Watch what it says now in verse 4. It says, the judge ignored her for a while. So he, he just doesn't pay attention to her. It doesn't matter how many days she shows up in the courtroom. It doesn't matter how many times she raises her hand, how many times she speaks out. For a while, he totally ignores her. And you can imagine, if that were you, the frustration that would build up. But I admire this woman because instead of giving up, she just keeps showing up. She just keeps showing up. Look what else it says in verse 4. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Literally in the Greek there, it means this woman is giving me a black eye. She's hurting me with her constant crying out and asking for mercy and begging for justice. She's starting to give me a bad image, even though I don't care about God and I don't care about people, by always speaking up and always causing issues. Now, even though this is a parable, the scene that's being described here has historical roots, meaning this kind of scene took place in the ancient world. We actually have a description of a scene like this from an ancient city known as Nisibis, in what we think of today as modern-day Iraq. 
And the story goes that as you entered that city, there was a prison on the one side where the prisoners would hold their arms out to whatever bars were there, whatever holes were there, trying to collect alms. And on the other side was a great hallway, and at the end of the hallway of justice sat a chadi, or a judge, on pillows that elevated him. It was like his dais or his dais that he sat on. And that's where the, the, the people of the city would go all week long to have their cases tried and settled. But surrounding this cadi or this judge would be his secretaries or his clerks. And a person with money knew how to get justice. What they would do is they would go to these secretaries or these clerks and they would tell them, here's my situation. And as they told them the situation, they would slip them some money. And the clerk or secretary would decide whether or not it was enough money. And if they ignored the person, then the person knew they needed to dig in their pocket and take out more money until the clerk or secretary felt there was enough money. Then he would go to the judge and say, Judge, you need to hear so-and-so's case. And then he would hear that person's case. And usually, that person would win the case. Why? Because they slipped in enough money. The story goes that a woman showed up to that court who had lost her son to the military and no longer had anybody to take care of the family farm. And day after day after day, she would raise a ruckus in the court until finally the cadi could take it no longer and said, Woman, what do you want? She pleaded her case and he decided in her favor to get her off his back. Now, that's an actual incident that's been recorded down in ancient script and writing to this day. When it says in our text, when Jesus adds this element in the text where he says that the judge ignored her repeatedly, what is probably going on here is the same kind of idea. He's ignoring her and waiting until she comes up with a big enough bribe in order for him to pay attention to her. But she's a widow. She's poor. She doesn't have a bribe. All she can do is speak out over and over and over again. And finally, he figures the picture out. I'm not going to get a bribe from her. I'm tired of listening to her. I'm tired of the black eye that she's giving me in terms of PR. And so finally, look what he does. It says, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Because she is wearing me out. That's the term that means black eye. She's wearing me out with her constant requests. End of story. Now, here's the question. Is Jesus saying to his followers then and today that God is like the judge? That you got to nag and nag and nag and nag at God through prayer until finally God says... I can't stand listening to Dale anymore, and let's get this thing worked out. Let's answer this prayer. Let's get this solution. Is that what Jesus is saying? I hope not. And obviously, it is not. So what is Jesus saying to us? He tells us, look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. So Jesus calls him an unjust judge. And obviously Jesus loved his father, so he's not saying that the father is like the unjust judge or the unjust judge is like the father. He says, 
even he, the unjust judge, rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Now, what does that mean? What Jesus is saying is if an unjust judge will listen to a woman who is repeatedly bringing her case to him and gets tired of her and finally says, I can't take it anymore, and renders justice for her. Imagine what a just judge, imagine what our just God is going to do. When you cry out to him, his character, his justice is such that he will hear your prayer He will render justice on your behalf, and he will do it quickly. Well, that sounds good, but it also sounds strange and and, uh, doesn't even make sense if you really think about it, because a lot of us who are struggling with prayer and God in our prayers are struggling because God doesn't seem to be rendering justice, and it seems like it's not happening very quickly. And that's because we have a tendency to view prayer and God the wrong way. See, the problem with prayer is not God. The problem with prayer is oftentimes how we look at prayer and look at God. I guess the way I would, I would illustrate this is to say that a lot of us treat God like a genie in a lamp. Remember how that works? You get the lamp in your hand, and you rub, 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 until finally, what? The genie emerges. And I don't know about you, but some of the movies or cartoons I've seen with the lamps and the genies, have you ever noticed when the genie finally emerges, the genie's really grumpy? Like, why did you wake me up? Why did you get me out of here? It's been a thousand years. I was comfortable. What do you want? And I think that's how a lot of us think about God. God is in the lamp, and my prayers are the rubbing. I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and my job is to get God out of the lap so that God will answer my prayers. And I, I, and I figure God must be really grumpy or he would answer them by now, and I'm almost afraid to keep praying because if I keep praying, God will finally come out of the lamp and he'll be really mad at me. Now, I know that sounds silly. I know it sounds like a cartoon, but I think subconsciously, we, you know, when God's not answering prayers, that's how we think about it. See, here's the problem. When we pray, we get focused on what we want as the results of our prayers. And, uh, well, I don't want to be disparaging toward all TV preachers and evangelists because there are some good ones out there. There are a lot of them out there that breed this mindset that if you pray, God is going to answer. And if God's not answering, it's because there's sin in your life. And that's not true. Or if God doesn't answer prayers because you don't have enough faith, that's not necessarily true. See, you got to stop connecting prayer with answers to prayer. Yes, God does answer prayer. Yes, it takes prayer to, bring, to move God's heart sometimes to, to bring an answer into our life. But prayer in its very essence, prayer is an expression of faith. Prayer is an expression of faith that says, God, I trust your character. The unjust judge, you can't trust his character. But God, I trust your character. And what proves our trust in God's character when we are willing to ride out the storm with him? If God is going to answer our prayers all the time, as soon as we pray them, 
there's nothing, there's, there's nothing to trust anymore. God is now a genie who serves my every wish. And to be honest with you, there are some prayers in my life that, that I'm glad God hasn't answered as I've gotten older and seen how life has gone for me. He's purposely waited and for a good reason. I'll be just as honest with you, though, there are some other things in my life that I've been praying about for, for a long time, and God has still to answer those prayers. I don't think I'm praying anything bad. It involves other people, and I know God's putting the squeeze on them, but God won't make somebody else do something they choose not to do. He gives that freedom of will. And with our prayers, we can't make people change. But with our prayers, we can influence circumstances around people that will lead to their change if they will respond to God honestly and faithfully. So prayer is more about expressing my faith in God, especially in the storms of life, as it is seeing an immediate answer. Think about the followers of Jesus. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people like Peter. Is Peter going to suffer? Oh my goodness, Peter will suffer. First of all, Peter's going to blow it in the garden, or I'm sorry, he's going to blow it in the courtyard of the high priest when he denies Jesus three times. But Peter Keep on praying and hang on. Hang on to the integrity of God that God can forgive you and restore you. Peter in the New Testament. As far as we know, Peter spends time in prison. Peter is persecuted for his faith. And according to tradition, when he finally dies, he's hung upside down at his request. I'm sure Peter prayed many a times. God, I'd like to be spared of this beating. God, I'd like to stay out of prison. God, I, I would prefer not to die. And God didn't answer prayer. God let it happen in his life like he had it happen in Paul's life, like he had it happen in his own son's life. And sometimes God chooses to leave us in a place of difficulty and suffering, and we may not know why this side of eternity, but prayer is our way of staying closely connected to God. Many of you know that my wife, Marcia, loves to uh, jump out of airplanes with a parachute, She's got over 200 jumps, and uh, she's enthralled by it. I think it's insane. I would not do it. She can't even talk me into it. She can't bribe me into doing it. But she loves to do it. And I pray for her every time she goes out. God brings her back safe again. And when I talk to her about her jumps and her landings, one of the things that I've learned is that when she jumps out of that airplane, despite all the skill sets she's gaining and learning uh, from reading and her coaches, etc., Ultimately, she is trusting the character, the integrity of that chute and those cords and those cables that keep her attached to it. God says, when you are free falling through life, you have got to trust my integrity and my character. You've got to believe that I'm in control, that I'm hanging on to you, and I've got a purpose for you. And whatever injustices you are experiencing on this earth, I'm going to settle them. I don't know if you remember this, if you were here with us for the Revelation series, but do you remember it speaks about the martyrs under the altar who pray and cry out to God to bring justice? And the book of Revelation tells us someday God is going to settle every account. Justice will come. And it will. You say, but it says quickly here. Yes, it does say quickly. We can look at that in two ways. Quickly in terms of with God, a, a year is like a day, and a day can be like a year. With God, 
Time is different than you and I think about time. But quickly can also mean that when, when it's time to settle account, it's going to happen fast. That when, when God is ready in this life or in the life to come to settle all the accounts, all the acts of injustice, it's going to happen quickly. And listen carefully. The Bible tells us, we talked about this before, that, that justice and, and uh, uh, bringing down the ruling, so to speak, should not be in our hands, but should be left in the hands of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So I don't have to worry about getting even. I don't have to worry about being uh, vindicated by this world or by, uh, by others. God is going to take care of that. But look at the last line, which is piercing. He says in that last line, but when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus comes back, how many will he find on earth who have faith? In other words, when, when I return, Jesus says, am I going to find anybody who has trusted my character, who's not bailed, who's not given up and just said God doesn't listen anymore, God doesn't care anymore, and tried to take matters in their own hands or followed a different Messiah? Am I going to find any who have been faithful to me? You know, when I, I think about this widow, I cannot help but think about my mom, who is not a widow. But my mom, for whatever reason, reminds me of this woman, because my mom is, is truly and has always been such a prayer warrior. And a few weeks ago, I went down to check on her and, uh, to check on her and my dad and kind of help around the house and do some things for them. And my mom knew I was coming, and she got so excited. She got on the phone, and, and she said, what can I bake for you? My mom's love language is cooking and baking. And I said, Mom, you don't need to bake me anything. No, no, no. She goes, I have to bake you something. What do you want? I said, well, how about some peanut butter cookies? Good, I'll make some peanut butter cookies. What else do you want? I said, well, I love pineapple upside down cake. Good, I'll make a pineapple upside down cake. What else do you want? I said, Mom, that'll be enough. When I... When I arrived back home at my mom and dad's place, one of the first things my mom did was go to the freezer and pull out eight dozen bagged cookies. She pulled out the pineapple upside down cake. She pulled out the the, uh, Cool Whip bowl. She pulled out a pound cake that she had made with some cheesecake in it. She pulled out some flax uh, uh, seed bread she had made for me. I mean, the whole table was covered. And it was like, look what I have done for you. And I spent the next week eating uh, flaxseed bread, which is a dangerous thing. You got to be careful how much of that you eat. All right. We don't need to say anything more about that. Uh, I ate with her uh, the entire uh, uh, pineapple upside down cake. I don't know how many cookies I consumed. And then she told me, make sure there's plenty of room in your suitcase because I had to pack the, the, the next five or six dozen in my suitcase to bring home. And that still left several dozen in her freezer. I love my mom. I love the fact that, that she loves to cook for me and that she's always cared about me. But I want you to know that the greatest gift my mom has ever given me has been her prayers. Those prayers mean more to me than all the cookies in the world. And I I firmly believe that it's my mother's prayers that have brought me to the place that I am today spiritually, that have brought me to the place I am today as a a grandfather, a father, and a husband, and, and as a person. 
And my mom has been through incredible trials and difficulties in her life. And the other great gift she has given me has been to watch her stay faithful to God when most women, I think, would have given up, would have just washed their hands, would have said, I'm through with God, I'm through with my marriage, I'm through with being a mother or a wife, you know, would have walked out. My mom has gone through the most incredible difficulties in her life, physically, financially, relationally. And in all those times, she has stayed anchored, trusting in the character and the integrity of God. And in 83 years of life, She has seen God be faithful and answer prayers. But in 83 years of life, she's also seen God allow her to go through valleys that will not end until she stands before him someday. For my mom, God does not exist to answer her prayers. God exists for her to glorify by being faithful in the storm and out of the storm. I trust and pray that you will put your faith in God and express your faith in God through prayer, believing that God will always be there for you and with you and through the storm until he calls us home to the other side. After all, why does God leave us here on this earth? To make life easy for us? To give us whatever we want? To spoil us like a child? No. God left you and me here on this earth to live in such a way that whether it's through good times or hard times or difficult times, we can give a testimony of his presence and his power. And nothing gives more glory to God than when we are faithful in the difficult times. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this story that Jesus told that gives me great encouragement to keep on being faithful and trusting you even when I go through the storms and the difficulties of life, when I want you to answer prayer, when I want you to make it easier, but you seem, Lord, to hold back the answer I want. Father, forgive me for using prayer like a man rubbing a, a lamp to get the genie to act on his or her behalf. God, I want to use prayer to express to you that No matter what your answer is or isn't, I am going to trust you that you know what you're doing, that you're in control. In Jesus' name, amen.